The time is at hand. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order. But I am telling you right now. We need a great reset. And this, this is, is extremely, extremely dangerous, dangerous to our democracy. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. The calm waters of the Great Lakes claim a horrifyingly large number of victims every year. The Great Lakes Triangle this week in Dark Places. My name is Jumbo Fugit. I'm just coming off a cold, so that's why I sound kind of weird. Turns out that having a big large number of people in Point Pleasant last weekend was probably not the best. Bunch of super spreaders up there. <laughs> they got Brandon sick a couple days after we got back from the Mothman Festival, and then of course he gave it to me because it's impossible for one person in the house to get sick without giving it to everybody. So far my wife's been lucky though, she's not had it. Did you get sick after attending the Mothman Festival? We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email in darkplacespod at hotmail.com But, yeah. I'm feeling better. It's almost over. <laughs> I just sound weird now talked about my premonitions before on the show. I have some weird premonitions that never help me with anything. They're never useful. <laughs> well, sometimes they are. But I have some weird premonitions and being sick reminded me of this one weird little premonition I had. A time slip or something. I don't know what you would call this one. But at the store where I work the old building that's no longer kind of there anymore <laughs> We used to have a video rental department. You remember those? You'd go and rent DVDs and VHS tapes and stuff. Kind of like a blockbuster video, except it was inside of a grocery store. Right as Netflix and Hulu and stuff like that were coming up big, all these video rental places started going under. For like a year, there was rumors around the store that our video department was going to close because they couldn't compete with Netflix and all that stuff. So they were going to shut down our video department. And everybody was like, ah, oh, yeah, right. They're never going to shut down the video department. <laughs> and those little rumors went on for a year. I remember going to work one day and seeing a sign on the door. This was like 10 years ago. That said something about COVID on the door. And I wish I could remember exactly what it said. But I just remember seeing COVID. And thinking that that was probably something to do with the video department going to close. I saw it that one day, and I never saw it again after that. Then like a month or so later, there was actual signs on the door about the video department going to close, and it said all videos are now for sale, and we're going to get rid of our stock and inventory and all that. I really wish I could remember what that sign said about COVID, but it was like some kind of a 
premonition of the COVID mask thing and stuff like that and social distancing and all that nonsense and seeing the vid thing just kind of made me think that it was going to be related to the video department who knows and I had another premonition that my store would never be completely rebuilt whatever that means I was thinking some kind of big nuclear bomb or something I don't know something was going to halt the progression of my store being rebuilt we shall see I guess but originally it was supposed to be done in six months which would put it right about now and last I heard they're going to reopen it on December 5th I had a premonition that actually helped me out a couple weeks ago I was on my way to work really early it was like five o'clock and it was still dark out that morning and stuff and I was just cruising right along and I had a premonition like a voice in my head or whatever say hey slow down there's a deer in the road and I went around this curve and sure enough there was a deer walking right toward the road and I was saying on the brakes like ah, no <laughs> I was safe I didn't hit it the deer lives I've had that little premonition a few times actually slow down there's a deer in the road Here's a story sent in by our friend, Paul Chadwick. Thanks, Paul. Mysterious Alaska Triangle, where 20,000 people disappeared and Bigfoot roams free. Story by Michael Moran and Alex Croft. So you know it's going to be good. It took two people to write it. <laughs> With NASA and the U.S. government recently beginning to show more interest in UFOs and non-human life, there's one area they should take a very close look at. An odd triangle of land in Alaska has more paranormal sightings than any other similar sized piece of land in the world. The sparsely populated area has been a common spot for sightings of UFOs, ghosts, and Bigfoot-esque beasts, and has seen over 20,000 people go missing since 1970. One UFO witness, Wes Smith, says he saw very strange triangular objects which didn't move like any aircraft which he knew of according to a Discovery Channel documentary it's like everything you've ever been taught has gone out the window because how is that possible he asked of the flying object which was deadly silent Michael Dillon who lives 11 miles from where Wes saw the UFO caught his own on camera showing a light moving across the sky before shooting straight up at an unbelievable speed. It was very obvious to me that we were not witnessing a natural phenomenon, Michael said. For something to change direction at that speed, a human body would be liquefied. On top of UFO sightings, the area has more unsolved missing persons cases in this specific region than anywhere on earth according to the History Channel. Since 1970, there have been over 20,000 disappearances in the area between Anchorage and Juneau in the south to Atiyagiv on the northern coast, according to the Daily Star. Thanks, Daily Star. Blamed on a variety of strange phenomena from abductions to Wendigo, a flesh-eating Bigfoot-esque creature, 
and magnetic anomalies messing with hikers compasses the number of disappearances is well over two times the national average rescue workers have reported phantom sounds along with feeling lightheaded and disoriented when searching for missing persons whether some unknown physical phenomenon is responsible for the lights in Alaska's night sky remains a mystery. UFO expert Debbie Ziegelmeyer believes that Alaska is attractive to alien visitors because it's so sparsely populated. They can pretty much go anywhere they want, said Debbie, who is a star team investigator for the UFO research organization MUFON. That's the attraction of Alaska. Rance Lentz, 41, took an interest in UFO research after an eerie alien experience where he was still a schoolboy, but a later career in the U.S. military gave him a fresh insight into the phenomena. There are definitely more sightings when there's heavy, heavy testing, he said. Folks on the tests see different lights and different things off on the horizon, he says. There are claims someone or something is attracted by the cutting-edge military technology on the show. Some believe that U.S. military officials might know all about the UFO presence on their test ranges. Hypnotherapist and paranormal researcher Johnny Enoch said there's clearly something strange going on in the Alaska Triangle. He speculates that senior figures within the U.S. military are secretly in contact with whoever or whatever is piloting the mystery craft. While aliens have been blamed for the disproportionate number of missing persons reports in the Alaska Triangle, some paranormal experts think there could be a quite different explanation. Cryptozoologist Chris Brackman says anything of any size could be hiding in the Alaskan wilderness with such fantastic habitat and so few people to compete with. Sasquatches basically have the run of Alaska. Attacks by the huge prehistoric man-beast have been offered as another reason why so many people go missing in Alaska. Of course, the inhospitable terrain and unpredictable weather could be the simplest explanation, but with so many of those people missing, never to be seen again, it's undeniable that there is a mystery to be solved in the Alaska Triangle. And there's another weird little synchronicity coincidence thing. I just read the story that Paul sent in, and it's about the Alaska Triangle, and this week on the show is the Great Lakes Triangle. Coinkydink. Hey, we have some new listeners this week. Shout out to Carol, Aziz, Michelle, Jen, and Roy. Thanks for listening, guys. And now, here is your... Nicholas Cage, Meltdown of the Week. Charlie! My son's hat! The boy that was wearing this hat, did you see him? Sir, you okay? My son was wearing this hat! Sir! Charlie! Hey, buddy! Officer, officer, this is my son's hat. He's missing. When did you see him last? He was right here by the ice cream truck. He was right next to me. Have you tried calling him? He's seven years old. He doesn't have a phone. Sir, do you live around here? Maybe he just went home. 
According to the Chippewa Indians, whose ancestral hunting grounds lie around the shores of Lake Superior on the border between the U.S. and Canada, the lake is haunted by a giant sturgeon. Among its attributes is the ability to swallow a ship whole, while the merest flick of its fin creates a maelstrom, and the lash of its tail stirs the entire lake to turbulence. It is the movement of this monstrous fish, said the Chippewa, that causes the phenomenon known as the Three Sisters, a trio of waves that periodically rolls across the otherwise calm surface of the lake, engulfing any vessel in its path. Although the myth of the fish appears to belong to the realms of folklore, navigators, on the five great lakes of North America, Superior, Michigan, Huron, Erie, and Ontario, tend to treat the story with respect, for they remember the sudden disasters that have been recorded on these vast waters ever since French explorers discovered them about 300 years ago. The grim reputation of Whitefish Bay, for instance, at the eastern end of Superior is alluded to in its local name, the Graveyard of Ships. But from the 1970s onward, ufologists and Fortean investigators have suspected that the old Indian legend symbolizes something more significant than natural calamity. They believe that behind the large numbers of disappearances of ships and, latterly, aircraft on the Great Lakes lies a mysterious power that rivals, even surpasses, that said to rule the Bermuda Triangle. The Great Lakes together form the largest body of fresh water in the world, covering a total area of almost 100,000 square miles, while the 1,000 rivers and streams that feed them drain an area of 228,000 square miles. Their size means that they have an oceanic effect, particularly on the climate of the surrounding lands, which are temperate in summer and warmed by the waters, close to the lake's shores in winter. Even allowing for their size, however, the lake's reputation as destroyers of ships and men is astonishing. Although no official figures are kept for disasters occurring specifically on the Great Lakes, newspaper records over certain periods show staggering totals. Between 1870 and 1889, for instance, the number of shipping losses through wreck, grounding, burning, and sinking amounted to over 6,000. Willis Metcalf, an Ontario historian, recorded that in a single week in November 1856, nearly 30 vessels were lost on Lake Ontario, while in November 1913, 40 vessels and 672 lives were lost during a four-day period. Modern aids to navigation seem only marginally to have improved matters. Nine multi-thousand tone vessels were lost on the lakes between the mid-40s and the mid-60s. In the 80-odd years since aircraft began to make regular flights in the area, they too have joined the list 
of Great Lakes disasters. Two books in particular have drawn attention to this mystery area. The first, in 1977, was Jay Gwarley's The Great Lakes Triangle, although the strange events are not confined to a triangle. Followed in 1980 by Hugh F. Cochran's Gateway to Oblivion. Cochran felt that although all five lakes were fraught with danger, it was the area around Marysburg, at the eastern end of Lake Ontario, that seemed to pose the biggest threat. He termed it the Marysburg Vortex. During the War of 1812 between Britain and the United States, two well-equipped American frigates, the 110-ton Scourge and the 112-ton Hamilton, were sailing down Lake Ontario toward the fortified port of Niagara when both vessels rolled over in unison and sank. Only 10 men out of the total complement of 100 survived and none could offer any explanation for what had happened. Something similar had apparently happened eight years previously when the government schooner Speedy vanished on Lake Ontario taking with her many of Canada's most important officials, becoming one of the most famous maritime disasters in the history of the country. The speedy set sail from York, now Toronto, in November 1804. On board were a group of judges and legislators bound for Press Coil, 90 miles away, and an Indian prisoner named Ogetunakut who was due to be hanged for murder in the new coastal town of Newcastle. The Speedy had two experienced captains who worked alternatively. Captain James Richardson, who was to command the ship on its ill-fated voyage, had deep forebodings as he set sail. Without giving rational explanation, he tried to persuade the officials to cancel or postpone the voyage, and was ordered to step down in favor of the schooner's second master, Captain Thomas Paxton. Shortly after the Speedy left the harbor, a storm blew up. Bonfires were lit on the shores at Newcastle to guide the vessel, but instead was seen to drive on under full sail. No trace of her or her crew has ever been found. Cochrane suggests that the gathering of Telerick, or Earth, currents similar to those said to effuse from keys and standing stones somehow communicated themselves to Captain Richardson, warning him of disaster. While the less sensitive Paxton felt nothing, he quotes a similar occurrence in the case of the sailing ship of Eleanor Hamilton, which was lost on Lake Ontario in 1854. The crew of the ship seems to have a collective premonition and came close to mutiny before bowing to the demands of its captain and setting sail. No bodies were ever recovered but wreckage washed ashore was found to be smashed into smaller pieces. As Cochran put it, something akin to a giant fist had slammed down on the vessel and turned her into kindling sailed through the blackness of the night 
a much more gentle force apparently sank the sturdy tug Sachem on Lake Erie in December 1950. She sailed from Buffalo to Dunkirk, New York, but through the weather stayed fine and clear. She never arrived at her destination. A month later, the bodies of her crew began to wash ashore. In the following October, the United States Coast Guard located the Sachem, sitting upright on the bottom of the lake. She was raised and examined. Her hull and machinery were found to be in perfect condition, though the bridge and engine room telegraph levers were in the stop position and the bridge windows had been smashed. When fabric softeners began, there was good. Then came better. Today, there's bounce. Not as you know it, but new super soft bounce. Good. Liquids? Good for softening, but not so good for static. Better. Sheets? Better for static. Inconvenient. Yet yeah, so-so for softening. Bounce. But new bounce is the best sheet ever. It gets clothes softest. Watch. On a towel softened by another sheet, a bubble often breaks. But Bounce's towel is so super soft, it bounces almost every time. For softness, that's some sheet. For static clean, Bounce beats the socks off liquids and that Bounce freshness. So why settle for good or even better when you can have Bounce? New Super Soft Bounce. The best dryer sheet ever made. A similarly undamaged victim of the Great Lakes was the Baravia, which was found abandoned on Galu Island, Ontario, in 1889, in a manner reminiscent of the Mary Celeste. The ship had been missing for several days. When she was found, she was undamaged, apart from a little water in her bilges and a canary, the only living thing aboard still sang in one of the cabins. A batch of freshly baked bread lay in the galley, and the captain's papers, plus a large sum of money, were in his deck. Whatever it is that caused these and many similar wrecks has neither decreased in power nor in the number of victims, it claims, with the passage of time. The Edmund Fitzgerald, an $8 million, 729-foot cargo ship carrying 26,000 tons of pelletized iron ore from Superior, Wisconsin to the blast furnaces of Detroit when she vanished on November 10, 1975. Her captain, Ernest R. McSorley, radioed a following ship, the Arthur Anderson, at 7.10 p.m. to say that he had shipped a little water from the heavy seas, and although his vessel was in no danger, he requested that the Arthur Anderson remain in visual and radar contact with him. Minutes later, both the lights of the Edmund Fitzgerald and her blip on the radar screen disappeared. In August 1977, she was found in 500 feet of water, sliced neatly in two. In 1978, the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board ruled that faulty hatch covers had caused the disaster. <laughs> yeah, right. Without, however, explaining how the ship had vanished so quickly. 
The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down At the big lake they call Gitchagumi The lake it is said never gives up her dead When the skies of November turn gloomy With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more Than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed When the gales of November came early The ship was the pride of the American side Coming back from some mill in Wisconsin As the big freighters go, it was bigger than most With a crew and good captain well-seasoned Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left fully loaded for Cleveland Then later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they'd been feeling? Tattletail sound and the wave broke over the railing. And every man knew as the captain did too, twas the witch of November come stealing. The dawn came late and the breakfast had to wait when the gales of November came slashing. When afternoon came, it was freezing rain. In the face of a hurricane west wind When supper time came The old cook came on deck Saying, fellas, it's too rough to feed you p.m. a main hatchway caved in He said, fellas, it's been good to know ya The captain wired in, he had water coming in And the good ship and crew was in peril And later that night when his lights went out of sight Came the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald Sudden and unexplained fire has brought destruction to many ships in the Great Lakes area. Coastal towns, too, have suffered from huge conflagrations. And Cochrane suggests that the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871 and the one that destroyed the center of Toronto in 1904 might have had paranormal origins. Both he and Gorley had the case of the fire that broke out in the cockpit of an F-94 jet of the USAAF in July 1954 after the aircraft had been scrambled to intercept a disc-shaped UFO which had been sighted in the sky to the west of Griffiths Air Force Base. As the jet closed with the UFO, the cockpit suddenly became superheated. The pilot and radar operator were forced to eject 
while their craft hurtled down into the small town of Wellsville, New York, killing four people and setting the town alight. The implication was that the UFO had caused the fire and thus the crash. In most cases of missing airplanes over the Great Lakes, however, the aircraft have simply disappeared. In one area alone, a stretch of the north shore of Lake Superior, 34 people and 17 aircraft vanished without a trace between 1952 and 1982. In at least two cases, light aircraft have been found crashed with their wings sliced off. Several pilots have complained of the sudden appearance of all-engulfing fog. In 1966, an experienced pilot was flying his light aircraft on a well-established route along the south shore of Lake Erie when he radioed Cleveland Air Traffic Control Center to say that he had entered thick fog and was unable to tell up from down. He had just time to tell them that he was spinning and falling when his transmission ended abruptly and his radar blip vanished from the screen. In one of the most tantalizing cases, the pilot survived, but with no memory of what had happened to him. According to the Toronto Star, a veteran pilot named Tom Walker, with nine years flying experience over the Great Lakes, took off in poor visibility from Island Airport, Toronto, for his home 80 miles to the north at Owen Sound. All contact with him was lost for two days, and for two days a search was carried out until he was found, dazed and hobbling, in a suburb of Toronto. He was taken to hospital and treated for multiple injuries and a broken ankle. He told his wife that his last memory was of sudden fog all around him but he had no memory of the crash or of his whereabouts at the time. Because of his broken ankle, it was thought that he could not have traveled very far from the site of the crash, but the wreckage of the aircraft was never located. Reports of lights in the sky have accompanied many aircraft disappearances in recent years, which seems to add weight to the growing theory that alien intelligences are behind the mayhem on the Great Lakes. One of the first to record these was Mrs. John Graves Simcoe, whose husband became first Lieutenant Governor of Upper Canada, now Ontario, in 1791. In her diary, Mrs. Simcoe noted that shortly after their arrival, the eastern end of Lake Ontario was rocked by a series of earthquakes. These were followed by globes of light that appeared from the southwest and moved in a northwesterly direction, following the course of the St. Lawrence River. More recently, in February 1913, various reliable witnesses in Toronto, including two astronomers, saw a procession of lights that moved from the northwest to the southeast, taking five minutes to pass over Toronto. Recording the events in the Royal Canadian Astronomical Society's journal, one astronomer described it as being like an express train lighted at night. The following day, according to the Toronto Star, the procession was seen again in the daylight.
consisted of several lights that showed dark against the bright sky and moved in groups of three and seven. Two years later, on February 14, 1915, residents of Morristown, New York and Brockville, Ontario, communities on opposite banks of the St. Lawrence, reported seeing great searchlights shining down on them from the night sky. According to the New York Times, of the following day, the lights, three in number, traveled an estimated 40 miles northeast and then returned southwest. More recently, the whole Great Lakes area has been a center of UFO reports. In 1974 to 1975, sightings reached a peak, with at least two dozen reports coming in from around the entire 100 square mile area. Mainly, they involved golden lights, red, green, and white flashing lights, and pairs of white and red lights hovering low over the lake's surface. With the disappearance of ships and aircraft, strange fog, fires, nocturnal lights, the so-called Great Lakes Triangle does seem to rival its Bermuda counterpart. We are woefully out of time this week. How about the Great Lakes Triangle? I'd never heard of that before. Creepy stories. But we're woefully out of time. Hey, and I'm better now. So don't worry about me. <laughs> it takes me four or five days to put these episodes together. And I was sick when I recorded the stories. I probably should have just waited until I was better, I guess. It's got to be a new world record for me, though. That was the first time I had been sick since March of 2022. Pretty much all my life I've been sick at least once a year. Sometimes two or three times a year. I don't know why. But anyway. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you again right here next week. God bless.